The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to look at God's Word now. So if you have your Bible, we are going to pick up in Colossians chapter 2. And what we're going to do is I'm going to, we're going to look at this together, chapter 2, and then um, just to give you introverts a heads up, we are going to be praying together <clears throat> after uh, the Lord's Supper and so, not to freak you introverts out, but just to give you a heads up so you have time to acclimate to the idea of praying in front of people. So, what we're going to do is, um, the reason I chose this chapter is primarily because I wanted us to see, as we are transitioning from Saturday nights to Sunday morning, and God's favor upon you guys and our church as we've been making this transition, is to ground us in gratitude for God's grace in our lives. So last week we looked at that and then talk about what we're offering to our neighbors. Just a bit of a refresher, reminder as we are joining God's mission here in Manchester. And so um, with that said, I think personally for me and I hope for you maybe as well, I need to be reminded of the gospel afresh again tonight. And so I think in many ways, the verses that we're looking at are as much for me as they are for you guys. So we're going to look at Colossians 2. I'm going to read from, chapter, from verse 6 to verse 15, and then we will look at these verses together. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you all were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having been forgiven all our trespasses by, the canceling, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Father, as we look to Jesus tonight, as we consider what it means to be in Jesus, to be united to him by faith, to be joining his mission, Father, would you give us your spirit that we would be refreshed and reminded again of the gospel, this great gospel that you have saved us by are strengthening and empowering us with right now and are shaping us to join here in Manchester and in New Hampshire. So it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. So as we're transitioning <clears throat> from Saturday night to Sunday morning from one building location to the next, in some ways it seems kind of like a simple transition, right? It's like, look, you just kind of change your address and moving from one place to the next. But I think it's an opportunity for us to kind of remind ourselves what exactly are we doing? 
Why are we here and why are we doing this, right? We're not, um, we are not hopefully making this transition uh, to be at a more convenient time uh, just for the sake of convenience, although it will be a little bit more convenient, won't it? <laughs> Uh, we are not planting a church in, New, in Manchester because we don't like to drive up to Concord or down to Haverhill, but because we want to be joining God's mission here in Manchester. Um, and as we do this, we are, we're confronted with a bunch of temptations and frustrations, um, and that's what we looked at last week, right? The beginning of Colossians 2, we looked at this whole reality of gratitude and how God gives gratitude to us, gives us gifts and stirs gratitude in us by the Spirit, and then we stir each other to gratitude to protect each other from the uh, deceitfulness of our own hearts and the deceitfulness of the world around us to think that God's kind of involved but not really. No, but everything's given to us by God because the reality is as we're making a transition, all of the things we've gotten used to are going to be kind of thrown up into the air, (laughs) and we're going to get frustrated with each other, and we're going to get frustrated with things moving, or things aren't going to go the way we're hoping for, and we protect each other in our holiness and God's mission by stirring gratitude for God who's actively giving us good gifts and giving us himself. So that's what we looked at at the beginning of Colossians too. Jesus is enough, and he's given us a lot of great things in our lives, and we get to protect each other by stirring gratitude. And so then we're looking now at the end of Colossians 2, where we are beginning to see how not only is it like God's given us great things in Jesus to help protect each other, But now we join God's mission in only giving people Jesus because we're united to only Jesus himself. And Jesus is the one that changes everything about who we are. So what are we giving to our neighbors as we're transitioning from here to Saturday night or Sunday morning as we're becoming more publicly seen in our neighborhood? Um, We're not giving people, uh, here's how to become uh, dressing a certain way or to act a certain way or to vote a certain way or to have a weekly rhythm, like it doesn't make God happy that you worship on Sunday morning versus Saturday night, Um, more happy with you, right? That doesn't matter. We're not giving people um, a better alternative time to worship. What we're doing is we come to God and join his mission in our neighborhood is we are giving people Jesus himself. And so that's what we're looking at here in Colossians 2, because Paul makes a huge deal about Jesus, right? Seven times in this paragraph that we've been looking at. Can we pull up? There we go. Colossians, not the, the, the main section of this paragraph. Seven times, Paul is making reference to being in him or with him. He is talking about Jesus. And so one of the main things about being a Christian is that we are united to Jesus. And that's what we're bringing to our neighbors is we're bringing them this union to Christ right? We are bringing our neighbors and we're bringing each other, what's called union with Christ. It means being in him or with him. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight because union with Christ is what changes everything about who we are and what we're doing. Union with Christ changes everything about what we're about. To be united with Christ means that we are one with him. We are made one with the son of the living God and his identity changes everything about us and it changes everything about our days and how we live. And it changes everything about what we're doing. And it changes everything about who we are becoming and where we're going. So you guys tracking with me here? Am I, am I jumping around too much? Everybody's? All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at, going to walk through this paragraph really simply because we're just going to see four things about what it means to be united with Christ and how it changes everything about our lives. 
So the first thing we're going to look at is pick up in verse 9 to 10. We are complete in him. This is a bit of reviewing the gospel, actually. So you're going to feel very familiar with this in some ways. But I pray that as we look at this together, uh, you will be reminded with me of how good the gospel is. So we are complete in him. Verses 9 and 10. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. <laughs> so all with it, verse 9, when it says, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily, that's what uh, we call the incarnation. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, takes on a human body that is fully human, right? Jesus, the man, had a full human body, all everything exactly the same as you and me, except without sin, and the Son of God, dwelled in that body. If your brain is exploding, that's because all Christians for all time have all had their brains explode when they try to understand that, (laughs) right? The whole idea of Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, that begins to sound okay, but if you know how to do math, you can't have 100% of something and 100% of something because that's 200%, and that's not the same as what the incarnation is. The incarnation is the Son of God dwells in the body of Jesus Christ and is a full human body, And that is where God reveals himself. I'm not exactly sure how all that works out. There's a lot of big, deep books that we could go and read about how that works. But the simple reality is Paul captures it here is that Jesus is everything, right? That's why we have this tagline, loving Jesus together, right? You could say that. You could say like, well, why do you have loving Jesus together? Aren't we about loving God together? Well, yeah, but what Paul is telling us here is God reveals himself. He shows us what he's like. He reveals what his character is like, all of his attributes, so his justice, his mercy, his holiness, all of what God is like. We only get to see that and know what that's like through Jesus, which is the best possible way to get to know God because Jesus is the one who deals with the biggest problem that we have, right? That we're jerk faces who love ourselves and hate God. But God, he says, in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Right, which means that when we come to Jesus and we trust in him, everything that Jesus has to offer is given at the rate of zero dollars for all Christians for all time. That means there's not like first or second rate Christians, the, the Christians who have like really trusted Jesus and get become saints, and then they get a certain level of Jesus, and then the rest of us peons down here Uh, We get a little of Jesus, and then we have to kind of go through a little extra stuff to get more of Jesus. No, when he says in verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority, he's basically drawing two pictures, right? As Jesus is fully incarnate and, and the full son of God takes on a full humanity, now you in Jesus have full access to all of what Jesus has, right? That doesn't mean that it's kind of like name it, claim it, like, okay, I'm just going to ask Jesus for anything that he has and I'm going to get all the money and health and wealth that I want. That's not what that means. What that means is that all the grace that I need for just surviving tomorrow, all the mercy that I need to cover all the junk of this last week or all of the horrible decisions that I've made or the horrible decisions that have been made against me, all the fullness of this supernatural otherworldly power 
is given to us completely free and open in Jesus. Right, so it is, um, it is totally in contrast to, have you ever felt like, um, like maybe you're a little insufficient? I know this seems like a pretty simple question, but um, if you have a social media account, uh, statistics prove that you largely live feeling in comparison to other people and that you're less than, not as happy as they are, you know, living in a, in a substandard life and a substandard reality. The statistics about social media is that basically it just makes us feel uh, jealous and envious of other people and insufficient. <laughs> so just to be aware, if you've got a social media account on any platform ever, um, which would be, I, I think I joined Facebook like two months after it started. So for, I don't know, the last 10 years of its rise to global dominance, I have been tempted with this reality of feeling that I am insufficient. Uh, not only with social media, but if you have people that you've discovered have been talking about you and making accusations about you behind your back, if you've had people who have uh, said that you are insufficient as a Christian or you're a failure as a father, a wife, a husband, a friend, that you are insufficient just for anything. Like, I don't know, we could go down the line, but there's a lot of ways to feel insufficient. But what this verse is telling us is that the Christian life is not determined on whether you are blessed or not blessed because of how sufficient or insufficient you are to get what God offers. God offers a leaning in, open-handed, free access, grace, and fullness of every need that you you have in Jesus. God is leaning in with open hands to bless you because that's the type of God that he reveals himself to be in Jesus, right? This is what Jesus says. He has this parable We'll eventually look at this in Matthew, but he has this parable where he says, um, a man needed to get work done. <clears throat> he went and hired guys in the morning. Um, he said, listen, I'll pay you this much. And the guys came out and did the work. He went out three or four more times during the day, and he's made the same deal with guys because he still had work to get done. And the guys he hired first got paid, you know, 10 bucks for the day. The guys he hired last got paid 10 bucks for the day. And the guys that got hired first were a little angry because they were like, hey, listen, like we worked longer and harder than these guys who worked for an hour. And the parable sums up the reality that, look, it's my money to give away. I can give it however I want. That's how God treats his grace to us in Jesus. Just because I'm a pastor does not mean that I get more grace, easy access than anybody else. Um, And just because you and I have had horrible weeks and maybe not read our Bible at all, not prayed at all. Uh, maybe, if we were to be honest, went back towards those sins that we feel we've gotten freedom from. God is still giving us free grace. He says, you have all been filled in him. You have been. It's not something that you have to work God into giving something to you. God is eagerly giving you everything that you need, rest-filled, to be rested in Jesus. You see, Augustine has this great little line. Can we pull up this Augustine quote? Do you guys know who Augustine is? Guy's from guy from North Africa, defines most of Christian theology ever. Kind of an important guy. Lived around the 400s. Um, he has this great line. You have got in, in his prayer... You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You see, this is what Paul is getting at. 
We all have a restless heart that will never be satisfied until it is resting in the completeness of who Jesus is and what he has given us in himself. So to begin with, what that means for us is that everybody in this room has no right to condemn or make anybody else in this room feel less sufficient as a Christian. Yes, we're horrible, jerk-faced people who have got problems all across the line, but everybody in this room has free access to the grace of Jesus to change and grow and to be made new in Jesus. There is nothing that any of you are lacking. And all of us in this room must be proactive to help each other know, yes, I'm a jerk face, you're a jerk face, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, but Jesus has given us everything that we need. We are complete, not that we will be complete, you are complete in Jesus. You have free access to his full store of grace and mercy and provision and care for you, which should mean that we are incredibly joyful people in all the circumstances that we live through. If it's been a rough week, if it's been a good week, if you've had great things going on in the last few days, if you've had horrible things going on, Jesus provides complete, true, lasting, rest-filled identity for you, right? Because Jesus will last forever, and even the best things and the best turkey and the best desserts will fade in memory. But Jesus will always be fresh and true and bright, which means that as we engage our unbelieving friends and our friends in our neighborhood who aren't Christians yet, we are not offering them some sort of like, um, we're not we're not treating them like some sort of project, right? Like, well, I'm going to help you kind of fix your language and, you know, fix the movies that you watch and, you know, maybe not do these things and that things and whatever, and then I'll bring you to church, which means that if we're just bringing our friends just however they are, because that's how Jesus takes them into church, we're just going to have to be okay with a few words being used that aren't exactly our preference or the right ones we want, because we are not making people projects, we're bringing people to Jesus who satisfies and changes their identity. Jesus is the one who changes who we are, not you and me kind of fixing up our neighbors, right? So when, when Paul says, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head and rule of all authority, I think his eyes are also kind of thinking to our unbelieving neighbors that... Um, all the ways, you know, it just, it just happens like being a church, like you kind of take on like a culture and, you know, everybody kind of looks like they shop from one place and they don't mean to, but they all kind of end up shopping in one place and they all kind of use the same verbiage, like, you know, in, in churches I've been a part of, we have like little code words that we use. Like that's not like the, that's not the stuff that we're bringing people to, right? To get code words and certain dress, certain music and blah, 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 and, you know, they get around Jay, they're going to get certain types of coffee or whatever. We're bringing people to a complete identity in Jesus. Sufficient for everything that they need. So it's going to be messy. <laughs> but I think that Paul has that in mind because he wants people to be satisfied in Jesus, be complete in him, and not just putting on religious makeup. All right. The problem with, with preachers and sermons is the first point's always super long and then the other points kind of get crunched up. So we're going to move on to the second point. So we've been looking at union with Christ changes everything and union with Christ means that we're complete in him. 
Second thing we're going to look at is that we are empowered in him, verses 11 and 12. In him, see, just whenever he uses this phrase, in him, by the way, this is one of the key points of all of Paul's letters. So whenever you read through Paul's letters, when he says in him, he is thinking of this stuff. Union with Christ is the central idea of Paul. That's just a little free nugget for tonight. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. So what is he talking about? Because now he's kind of going from this really clear verses, right? Well, here's the incarnation. You are filled in Jesus. Everything's provided for you. And now he starts using all this kind of weird language of circumcision and putting off of the flesh and now baptism. All right, so what's going on? So I th- let's look at verse 11. In him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So I think we need to start at the end of the verse and move to the beginning. I think it'll make sense because I think what he's talking about when he says the circumcision of Christ, I think what he is talking about when he says that phrase is the cross of Christ, where Christ was lifted off the ground and by his bloody death was removed from the land of the living and died in our place to take away the power of flesh within us. So the flesh is all the sin that rejects God and has a fist in God's face. And we are born with hating God, right? All of that is what he is talking about. So the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, right? He says the body of flesh, he's saying all that part about us that says, I hate God and I don't want God to have anything to do with my life and God's the one to blame and I don't believe there's a God. That sort of irrational equation. That's the flesh. And Jesus, the circumcision of Christ is the way that that stuff is removed from us. Right, so the circumcision of Christ is this very graphic picture of circumcision where you, you, you remove the foreskin and you take off that and it's, Christ is being removed. So it's a graphic picture picking up from verse chapter 1, verse 20, at the end of that paragraph where he says, right, by he referring to the cross of Christ, reconcile all things to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. So this is a very graphic picture, right? When you kind of get into it, it gets a little kind of awkward to talk about a little, right? But it's a, the circumcision of Christ is this bloody removing of all of our sin and weakness and rejection of God. Christ died to remove that from us. So that then when he goes on to pick up in verse 12, the way that you're united to that cross of Christ, this, the, the cross of what Jesus has done to remove all that... F- the, the sin and wrath of God and junk from our lives, the way that's removed is by the death of Christ and you're united to that by faith. So you're buried with him in baptism in which you are also raised with him through faith. You see that word there? That's where I'm picking that up. You're united to the cross of Christ through faith, trusting. This is what takes away all my sin. Not my praying the rosary or paying to, you know, world peace or, you know, doing... You know, social work in my neighborhood. Those things are good, but those things do not make us at peace with God. The way we are made at peace with God is through faith. And so by being united to Jesus through faith, we publicly say that by being baptized in Jesus. So that's why we're Baptists. We don't baptize babies here. Because 
Faith is how you're united to Jesus, and faith then leads us into baptism where we're baptized and say, Jesus died in my place to take away all of my sin and God's wrath, and now I'm by faith raised with Jesus out of the water to be raised with him at that last day. So you guys hang with me here because it's kind of a kind of a weird verse, and I'm trying to make it like kind of all line up and make sense. So I think what's going on here is that at a, at a heart level, Paul is saying um, the like our natural power, like the power that we're just kind of born with, and our willpower to do you know gym membership programs or diets or any, you know, our, our regimen to kind of fix ourselves on our own. All of that stuff is power that will lead us to death because it has no power to change us, right? That stuff has no, like, our ability to, to modify ourselves or change our habits or to check ourselves or to fix our problems or to get counseling or whatever. That stuff will never change us. Jesus dying in our place to change our heart-level condition of rejection of God, that's how we get true power. <laughs> because Jesus is not just kind of dying to kind of like, okay, get rid of this problem and now go, go live your lives. No, because remember, this is all being about united to Jesus, right? So being buried with him in baptism, you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. That power is what God is giving you in Jesus so that now you're no longer defined by the power like the, the natural power that you have in your own life that would lead to death, you're now filled and empowered by Jesus to follow and obey him. This changes how we just orient towards um, our own struggles, right? Because we're, our own struggles, we can get counseling and get care and go to missional community and come to church. Those things are going to help. But they're only going to help as they connect us to Jesus to be empowered by him, right? Because I'm happy to sit down and work through this, anything with you guys. But I'm not going to be the one that changes your heart. The gospel gives us Jesus, and Jesus is the one whose power changes us from the inside. Right, so that there's sometimes where we come to Christ, and some people have testimonies where they're like just suddenly like, I didn't want to give in to my addictions anymore, and I suddenly walked free from, you know, pornography, alcohol, drugs, whatever it was. There, there are those stories, but sometimes over the Christian life, the reality is that the things of jealousy and anger and lust and envy and all those things, they take time, and we have to continually come back to this great reality that we aren't changed by how we modify our speech. We're, we're, modi we're changed because Jesus speaks the merciful grace over us and fills us with his spirit to then walk after him. Right? We're changed because of his cross, not because of some sort of like religious program that we commit to. Is that making sense? We, we walk after him and it changes time to slowly change. And the reality is that with our neighbors right now, we are walking into the season of the year that most poignantly reminds us of all of our fears, failures, and regrets, right? All the things that would remind us, I will never change, and I can't change, and all these horrible things from my past are the defining marks about me. 
right? I mean, I don't know if you've ever had anybody just get up and walk away from the Thanksgiving table. I don't know if this ever happened to any of you guys. There's stories about that in my family. I don't know what your stories are of horrible things happening during being reminded or happening during the holiday season. You see, what the gospel holds out for you and me and for our neighbors is that all the things that the holiday seasons remind us of, all that junk, those are not the defining marks of where your strength comes from in life. Jesus is the one who empowers us. And in Christ, remember, remember this, in Christ, you are defined by his story and not your story. And you're empowered from his story and not your story. Right, so what we're offering to our friends and neighbors as we're moving to our new location and being more prominent in our neighborhood is we're offering them not in a social empowerment program or a country club or a cool place with a cool logo and cool shirts, even though we do have cool shirts and cool logos. We are offering them a life-changing reality, being empowered by the Son of God's story and not their story, being empowered for life change by him and not us. So as we're walking through this, I hope you're seeing with me, Paul has in mind not just kind of like some high theology stuff that he wants to get off his chest, but I think he's trying to provide us a track for not only our own souls to get into the gospel, but to show our friends and neighbors how they can get in on the gospel too. So we're going to pick up in verse 13, because we have, so we've been talking about we're complete in him. By our union with Christ, we're complete in him. By our union with Christ, which changes everything, we are empowered in him. And then pick up in verse 13 to 14, we are confident in him. By our union with Christ, we are confident in him. Verse 13, and you <clears throat> who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is, this is at the core of this, this is the gospel. Right? And this is an incredible picture of the gospel. If, if, if verses 13, 11 to 12 kind of made you a little uncomfortable with some of the graphic language that Paul is beginning to use, here he, gets even, he amplifies it to the rated R version. Because here he's saying, God sent his son, and he sent his son and nailed his son on the cross in your place. Do you get that at the end of the verse 14? This he set aside. And when he's saying this he set aside, he's saying all the ways in which you have held your fist up in God's face, all the ways which you have rejected God and chosen your own way over God's, all the ways that you have been envious, angry, mean, spiteful, jealous, all the ways that you have said, God, you're not enough, and my program's the best, all those things that you've done, God said, this is the record of debt. You owe me payment because you have defiled my glory. You've said, I'm not enough. You said, I'm not holy. You said that you are the true God and that I'm a false God. Yeah, all the things that we've said in our sin, God said, this must be paid for, either eternal or eternity in hell, or he sends his son in our place and Paul, this is why we are so focused on the cross, because Paul constantly pulls our attention to this one moment where the Son of God, 
dies in our place for all of those things that we have done. And he nails Jesus to the cross. And when Jesus gives out his last breath, it is finished. The cancellation of our debt against God. Right? All of those things, all the, all the things we've done, canceled by God when he nails the Son of God to the cross and he dies. And the reason this leads to our confidence is because you and I had nothing to do with this. <laughs> right? This is something that happened, we talk, talk about this being an objective reality. Like this happened in history, it was an objective fact. It happened, it happened without your or my involvement. In fact, the only involvement that we had was just contributing to the reason that Jesus needed to come. Right? All the record of debt he talks about. <laughs> That's the way we contribute. We contribute to the negative side. If you're thinking Lord of the Rings, you are the orcs, you're not Gandalf, okay? Right? This is, we contribute negatively to the story, but it happens without our participation. It happens outside of history, but it is for us and grounds our, our story and gives us infinite joy because it's happened, if it happens outside of us, then that means that all the, all the access that we have to it is free, but it doesn't ever change with how faithless we are to get in on it, right? Jesus is still true and giving and infinitely loving even when we snub him and forget about him and ignore him. But because he's true and infinite and loving, our confidence to come to him is increased because our access to him is based on what he's done for us on the cross, right? Is that making sense, right? He's died for us even when we were snubbing him so that now when we have come to him and he has claimed us as his own, we can come to him with confident access because all the things that could be said about us have already been said, right? Here's the thing. We, I don't know if you guys ever struggle with anxiety. We'll just pick one. If anxiety. What if people, what if this happens? You know, you could imagine, you know, for, you know, for me, like, what if Michelle dies or something happens where I'm left with three, four kids on my own trying to figure out how I'm going to handle life without her? Um, what happens if I'm out of a job? <laughs> you, know, you guys decide to kick me out. I don't know. But the anxiety, we're talking about like real anxieties, right? Like what if I get that report about the cancer? What if so-and-so in my family dies? What if... I lose my job. What if you could fill in the blank? Or you could go on the other side of it. What if people found out? What if they found out what I've thought, said, or done? What if they thought, found out what I've thought, said, or done to them or about them? Right? We, we have a lot of things in our lives that we don't want other people to know about. The way that we have confidence in the face of those things is that the reality is the worst thing that could have been said about you has already been said, right? When people critique you, they talk bad about you, or they want to find out bad things about you. Look, here's the, the worst thing that could be said about you. Here's the worst thing. You were so horrible and rotten that the Son of God took on 
a body and lived a perfect holy life and then died because you were so bad. Right? That's the worst thing that could have been said about you was said about you on the cross, that Jesus Christ had to die in your place. The worst thing that could be said is a perfect, perfect man had to live a life in my place to die to release me from my you know, death grip on addiction and sin. So the reality is that our confidence is not because we've got our act together or we've done our devotions today and we've prayed and we haven't yelled at the kids and we haven't said those things in the car at people who cut us off or whatever else, right? Our confidence is in the objective reality of the gospel, that Jesus died to save us. And so, yeah, the worst thing that could be said about you or people could say mean things about you, and they, some of them might be true, right? I've had people say horrible things about me, and it's like, well, you know, the reality is you're halfway true, you're halfway wrong, and the reality is you don't know the, you don't know the half of it, right? <laughs> like, the objective reality of the gospel is that Jesus died in your place, and so now we have free access, free grace to follow with him. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor. I don't know if you guys know his name. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor in New England, lived a long time ago, one of the, one of the few geniuses that America has produced. Um, uh, he had his faults, too. We could, you know, we could talk about those. He had his faults. But um, he was a pastor um, in Massachusetts. And uh, basically, even though he was a genius, he still made mistakes. And one of the things that he did one time is that kind of ultimately kicked out of his church is there was a thing going on in the youth group, which is why we don't have a youth group. Um, there was a thing going on in the youth group, and he... <laughs> sorry, I'm just kidding. Um, he got up, and he read, he read a list of people that he wanted to talk to. And he said... Um, and in the list, he made no distinction between people who were... He wanted to talk to who were uh, guilty and innocent. So he just got up and read this list of, like, you know, 10 names. I want to talk to these people, which implied what? All 10 of them were guilty. <laughs> Not a good political move for a pastor to make, right? So he gets up, makes his blunder, and ultimately he gets kicked out of the church. Um, they voted him out because they didn't like that they had a super smart guy who didn't know how to deal with people very well. And in his biography, somebody made this comment about him. He was a man whose happiness was out of the reach of his enemies and whose treasure was not only a future but a present good overbalancing all imaginable ills of life. See, his happiness was in Jesus and the gospel that Jesus lived and died to save him from all of his wicked, horrible sin and his blunders and failures. And because Jesus was a center and focus of all of his attention and heart, when he made mistakes and all these horrible things happened in his life where he gets kicked out of his church, his happiness was so deeply rooted in Jesus that it was out of the reach of his enemies. He was a man of confidence, right? Which is what we are offered in Jesus, right? We are, our, Jesus is so true and pure that we are, in the gospel, we root our hearts in him so deeply that we're confident in him regardless of what gets called out or exposed or said. I want us to be people whose confidence is so rooted in Jesus, our happiness is so rooted in him that it's out of the reach of our enemies. And that's what we're offering to our neighbors and friends, right? We live in a culture that's 
drastically dying, I mean, in one way or another, um, and nobody has any grounding for where their confidence lies, right? Well, it's in a political party, and then you find out that these guys are all scumbags who are abusing people left and right, regardless of the party. You know, you find out, you know, it's in, you know, these music people, and then they find out the kind of things that are going on in their lives. Um, it's in this ideology, and then you find out that those guys are, you know, horrible people too. Or even if it's in this church, right? And then you get to know me, and you realize, oh, Jacob's a jerk too. It, your confidence will never be satisfied or rested in anything else but Jesus alone. And that's what we're bringing to our neighborhood, right? We're coming to our neighborhood and saying, your confidence in life will never will never be rock solid and true if it is resting in anything but Jesus. And you can get united by uniting to him by faith, just trusting in him. You have confidence for life for all the failures and weaknesses and joys and trials and tribulations that are coming your way. This, I think, is the payoff of the gospel. Okay, we're going to finish up. You guys cool? All right, we're going to finish up. We're going to, if you've been tracking with me, you've noticed that I've skipped over verse 8 and we're going to end with verse 15. So we're going to put these two together. And we're, when we are united to Christ by faith, we engage with him. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He disarmed the rulers, and it goes on to say, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's, that is in Christ. So the reason I put these two together is because you kind of have the sandwich phrases of um, here's all these great things about the gospel gives you in Jesus. You're complete in him. You're confident in him. You're empowered in him. And then he has on the, on the back end, of the front and back end of this paragraph, right, uh, don't be conformed to the elemental spirits of this world. And then at the back end of the paragraph, um, he, put all those elemental, he put all the vain philosophies of the world uh, to open shame in Jesus. I think the reason Paul did that is because he is expecting people that are united in Christ are going to be engaging with people who don't believe in Christ on a regular basis. And so they're, not, they're going to be tempted to see the world through uh, philosophies and worldviews and perspectives uh, they displace Jesus out of the center. So that's the beginning of the paragraph, right? So that's, right? See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, right? I think the reason he says that is because he's expecting that people who are in Christ are going to be engaging those things on a regular basis. So a part of being a Christian is not, um, we're going to seg segment away from uh, the nasty, dirty world and uh, we're going to read our own books by our own publishers and never engage with those people. And we're going to read our own newspapers and we're going to read our own Facebook feed and we're going to go to our own schools and we're never going to engage with those people. Now, there's varying ways we can be faithful along those lines. But what Paul is saying is that he's expecting that we're going to have regular, intimate engagement with people who do not believe in Jesus, who are going to try to say, oh, Jacob... Bro, you do not need that Jesus stuff. You just need fill in the blank. Right? And that's going to come up in regular conversations. And what's helpful is to remember, no, no. All of those things led to, their, the, the height of their power was that they led to the death of Christ. And in the death of Christ, what does he say in verse 15? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Right, so 
all these things that, are, that tempt us to take Jesus out of the center, they actually, they're the ones that get put to shame in the death of Christ. So the orientation is to say, well, Jesus engaged me in my horrible, wicked state, who <laughs> rejected him, and he, he triumphed over all of my horrible wickedness by loving me and caring for me and dying for me. And so now the way we be like Jesus, so Jesus did that, we engage with him in our neighborhoods where people do not believe in Jesus, they have different ways of seeing the world, and we recognize I have to not be tempted to take on those think, that thinking, but I have to also recognize that that thinking was put to death in the death of Christ. So now I can offer this friend and neighbor of mine a complete identity in Jesus, an empowered identity in Jesus, a confident identity in Jesus, and because they're going to be in Jesus, they too can join God's mission of engaging other neighbors. Right? So the picture of being in Jesus is to be like him, which engages with people who aren't in Jesus. I think that we see this. You can read the paragraph and think, man, Paul is like this incredible theologian. How did he do this? I'd encourage you to check out Acts 17 this week. I think Acts 17 is kind of a picture of where we are as a church plant. We're going to get back to this transition thing. So Paul here is in a pagan city. He, he holds this gospel that we've just said. This, this, ha, this is get, gets written 20 years after Acts 17, but it still captures Paul's thinking. A high center of, central view. Jesus is the center point of everything that we need to know and have and live in in God. He's the center of everything. And then you see in Acts 17 where he comes to this pagan context and he engages with his non-believing friends and he says, well, look, we've got a bunch of common ground. Um, you believe that uh, God uh, created everything? Well, we believe God created everything. You have a longing for happiness and truth? Well, God created us to have a, happiness, a longing for happiness and truth. Uh, but here's the thing. And then he starts going with these central ideas from Colossians 2. Jesus uh, he put those things to death. He put uh, our sin to death, and he resurrected over the. Uh, he resurrected from the grave um, to give us new life and new identity. And that's where people start flipping out. They're like, "Well, I don't know anything about that. I don't think I can believe in that. that doesn't happen by evolution. You can't. You can't bring people back from the dead." So he starts engaging with those things and finds common ground, but still holds Jesus up as central. And you'll read Acts 17 and realize that it's a way better telling of the story than my telling of it. But Paul is taking these principles and putting them into action. You can see, here's what we're doing. When, when we, we're moving into Hope for New Hampshire Recovery. Guys, I love that we're moving into a building that's name is Hope for New Hampshire Recovery Center. The divine irony of being a church in a building with name Hope for New Hampshire. Jesus is the Hope for New Hampshire. Our non-believing friends have Hope for New Hampshire a way of recovery. We, have, we are offering Jesus to our friends who are in need of life and hope. I mean, you can't write a better story. <laughs> but I think that we are walking into a context where people are eager to hear, eager to learn, eager to understand, and we're saying, here is the true hope of life. Here is truth himself. Not us. You're just gonna get a bunch of people who are unfaithful and jerks at times, with Jesus, loving Jesus together, that is where true hope, where true life, where true confidence, where true empowerment, 
where true, complete, new, complete identity comes from. When we are moving in, we are moving into, I think, an Acts 17 situation, eagerly being invited by our non-Christian friends to tell them these truths from Colossians 2. Be united to Jesus, and he changes everything. Let's pray. Father, as we look to Jesus, we thank you that you have saved us in him, united us to him, and given us everything that we need in him. Father, I pray that you would fill us tonight by your spirit to enjoy him and to be refreshed in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.